Good morning, Christ Chapel. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online or at a distance. We're delighted that you're with us, and uh, it's great to be back at uh, Christ Chapel on a Sunday morning, and it's been a while since I've been in this first service. Hi. Let's get it out of the way. How many of you are Chief fans? How many of you are Eagles fans? How many of you didn't know or don't care there's a Super Bowl tonight? <laughs> Cowboys aren't in it, it's not an event. That's right, I understand. Coming back and uh, being involved with the staff, watching what it takes to put on a service like this, uh, often they don't get thanked. The people who are behind the cameras, the people who are in the control room, uh, we don't want you all to go to the control room, but if you did, you would think they could launch rockets from uh, all of the screens and everything that's involved in multiple, multiple sites and multiple services. So would you do me a favor and thank that team for all the work they do behind the scenes? Thank you. This is a message about the Holy Spirit. And as we were praying with the pastors this morning in uh, the garden room, uh, I told them it's a, it's a little intimidating to uh, talk about God, number one, uh, but talk about God, the Holy Spirit, and uh, it's sort of like getting really close to touching a burning bush. And so uh, would you bow with me and pray that God would guide our hearts and our minds this morning. Father, we want to thank your thoughts after you from your word. We pray that what is said would be what you would tell us and help uh, any human distraction of the communicator or the listener to be dealt with by your spirit, we pray. We love you and we thank you for revealing yourself in your world, in your son, and in your word. And we are dependent upon what you've said for us to understand you even to a small extent that you allow us to. So guard our hearts and our minds and our lips, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the challenges of our times is to understand and to help others understand a biblical worldview. What we mean by that is a view of truth that corresponds to what's real as God has created it and uh, that corresponds to the revelation that he has given us through his creation, through his son, and through his word. It's there that we find his explanation of origin, uh, purpose, meaning, and destiny. Alternative worldviews abound, including Hinduism, pantheism, humanism, which underlie the religious landscapes and even the imaginary worlds of the entertainment industry, where facts stop and fantasy begins is not always easy to discern. In Star Wars, as an example, the character Obi-Wan Kenobi defines the force as, I quote, an energy field created by all living things. In other words, there's a, something out there of positive and negative polarities where the, the people like the Jedi seek to become one with the force on the positive side and with Sith and the other villains seek to exploit the force, bending it toward their destructive desires on the other side. The force has been compared to aspects 
of many of those world religions, and the phrase, may the force be with you, has become a part of popular vernacular. But out of the world of the imaginary and back into the world of reality, confusion about genuine spirituality, and especially concerning the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit, exists not only in the culture, but also among professing believers in the church. Since the time of the New Testament, various heresies have been advanced denying the individual identity or deity of the Holy Spirit that have had to be addressed and corrected by church councils. Arius, the heretic of the second century, denied that Jesus was eternal, as well as denying the individual personality of the Holy Spirit. He taught that the Holy Spirit was just an energy exerted by God in the universe. His views were repudiated at the Church Council of Nicaea in 325. In the 16th century, Socinus, an Italian humanist, revived and perpetrated a similar view, one that now is found in Unitarianism, a modern movement of people interested in quote-unquote spirituality, but not at all grounded in the Bible or adhering to Christian beliefs. As a sidebar to our study through the book of Acts this year, I've been asked by Pastor Cody to sort of take a little cul-de-sac on our journey to address the subject of the person of the Holy Spirit. It was Dwight L. Moody who said, the best way to show that a stick is crooked is not to argue about it or spend time denouncing it, but to lay a straight stick alongside it. Dr. John F. Walford, the second president of Dallas Theological Seminary, opens his book on the Holy Spirit with these words. It is the fundamental revelation of scripture that the Holy Spirit is a person in the same sense that the Father is a person and the Lord Jesus Christ is a person. In your sermon notes today, there are more scripture references than we'll read, but I, I want to, to include them, I wanted to include them so that you can do some further study of reading on your own to see what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. Our core passage for this message is in your sermon notes there at the top, John 16, 7 through 11. And as I read, I want you to watch for or listen for the distinctive members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Listen to their descriptions, listen to their names, and even listen to the pronouns that are used of them. He states, and this is a message of Jesus the night before he went to the cross in the upper room. He says, nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I, Jesus, go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's the spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, but I go to the Father, and you will not see me no longer, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. You'll see this statement in your sermon notes. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity sent by the Father and the Son 
to equip and empower the believer for the work of the church and the witness to the world. I want to unpack that statement in three parts. First of all, his person. This is the identity of the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He has all that it takes to be an individual person. First of all, he can think. He has a mind. In fact, there's a, a great passage. Uh, he, he knows the mind of God, and he, he knows the hearts of people. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11, follows a section that, let me quote it, and then I'll read this passage. That famous statement that eye has not seen and ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of men all that God has prepared for those that love him. And then it, we often think, woo that would be so nice to know. The next statement is, these things he has revealed to us by his spirit. And the reason the spirit can reveal is because it says, for who knows the person's thoughts except the spirit of a person which is in him? In other words, nobody knows what you're thinking right now but you. Well, God does, but of human beings, nobody knows but you. Likewise, it says, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. God the Holy Spirit knows what God is thinking. He's one of the three members of the Trinity. He, he, he knows the mind of God. He knows the mind and the hearts of people. The Romans passage that's listed there to you that we will not read is that he knows your heartbeat so well. He understands your emotions so well that he intercedes for you in words that you can't express to the Father when you are suffering at such a great depth. The Holy Spirit knows. He has the capacity to think. He also has emotions of his own. And as I prepped this message over the last couple of weeks, this was the part that I think was the most convicting to me. As I shared with the men and I shared with Pastor Cody and Bill earlier uh, in conversations as we got ready for this, uh, we, we, we forget, we, by default, we almost think of the Spirit as a force, an energy, an impersonal aspect. But I want you to see this. The, the Holy Spirit has emotion. He feels. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We can grieve the Spirit. We can quench the Spirit, the Bible talks about. On the back of your notes, there's a list of other relationships to the Spirit, both good and bad, that uh, uh, they, they quoted Dr. Ryrie there. The, the passage, I think, that affected me the most as we prepped for this was Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29 that says the Spirit is insulted. Some translations say outraged because of our willfulness to sin. I, I must confess that I, I, I know it's wrong, and I, I want to confess my sins, and I do, but I don't often think that God is hurt by my sin. I think at times he's just unaffected by it. That's not true. He, 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 he's, he's grieved by it. He's outraged when I sin intentionally, or you sin intentionally. And just like the Father and the Son, the Spirit can, can become righteously angry for intentional and unrepentant sin. I confess I don't think about that enough. Uh, 
And I hope as a result of this study, I will. I believe it's one of the most overlooked omissions in our thinking and should drive us to a greater sensitivity to our sin and inspire us to obey. In the section on the back of your notes, you'll also see he can be wronged, but he can also be worshiped. He is a person who feels. The Holy Spirit, as a person thinks, he feels, and thirdly, he acts. He has his own will. And so he has all of the, the, the aspects of personhood, mind, emotion, and will. Jesus had an active ministry in the life of Christ. In Jesus' incarnation and earthly ministry, the Bible says he did nothing on his own. Everything he said and did, he did because the Father asked him to do it. But the Bible says he was led by the Spirit. He was filled by the Spirit. Believers can be led by the Spirit. He, he was empowered by the Spirit. He said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, he, he was empowered by the Spirit. You and I can be empowered by the Spirit. He was anointed by the Spirit at his baptism. You and I can be anointed by the Spirit. There's an unction uh, that the Bible talks about in 1 John. And Jesus was filled with the Spirit. That has the idea of being controlled by the Spirit. And in fact, the Bible commands us in Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 18, notice it says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery or dissipation, uncontrollability. Wine and in excess can affect your walk and it can affect your talk. But be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. And then he gives us a whole list of what that's going to look like that you can study out on your own. All of these ministries of the Holy Spirit you and I will watch as we progress through our study in the book of Acts this year. Section two, his place, his place. Well, what we mean by the place of the Holy Spirit is the relationship that he has within the Trinity, his deity, that he is equally God as the Father and the Son are God. We sing in that great worship song, holy, 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 holy Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song will rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty. And here's the line, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Biblical Christians are Trinitarian Christians. The doctrine of the Trinity is one of the most central Christian affirmations about God. For example, there's only two fundamental requirements for scholars and pastors to become a member of the Evangelical Theological Society. The inerrancy of the scriptures and the belief in the triune God, the Trinity. Various illustrations have been used to help children and adults as well understand how can three be one? How can there be this triunity? Some have suggested an egg, a, a yolk, the shell, and the white are all egg, but they are separate. All of these fall down at some point, obviously. The hand, uh, we, we talk about, uh, I, I cut my hand, that might be the palm of the hand, it might be the portion of the thumb, it may be a finger, but, but the members of our hand, all still part of hand. H2O is another one that's often used, ice, Water and steam are all H2O. They're all the same essence, just 
in different form. The problem with all of those is that none of those can exist at the same time all the time that we're talking about. The best one, I think, as an illustration, and it still lacks something, is an equilateral triangle in which each of the angles of the triangle is also a triangle of its own. Sometimes the diagram called the uh, Trinitarian shield is used. And it's helpful to understand these relationships between the different members of the Godhead. It, it, it seeks to understand that, that the Father is not the Son, uh, the Father is not the Spirit. The Son is not the Father, and the Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father, and the Spirit is not the Son. But the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is also divine or God. Now, how do we know these statements are true? Two, two lines of thought. Now, number one, when you study the scriptures, the Holy Spirit shares what we call the essential or the exclusive attributes of God. Now, let me take you into a theology classroom for just a moment. In theological studies, we talk about the attributes of God that are communicable and those that are not communicable or incommunicable. Now, what we mean by communicable attributes are those that human beings can, uh, in part, understand and experience. We know to some degree what it means to love. We, we know what it means to be true, to be just, to be patient, to be kind, to be holy, to be merciful, to extend grace. In fact, Jesus commanded, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Those are the kind of attributes of God that we share in. They're communicable, they're communicated to us, and we can communicate them back to God and to others. But there's some essential attributes that are exclusive only to God. And I give you a couple examples here. Number one, the, the Holy Spirit, like the Son and like the Father, is omniscient. What we mean by that, omni means all, science meaning to know. He knows everything there is to know. We already saw that passage. He alone knows the mind of God, and he can reveal it to us. He knows everything there is to know, therefore there is nothing that he does not know. He's also everywhere there is to be. Omnipresence. He's omnipresent. There's nowhere where he is not. The passage of Psalm 139 says, where can I flee from thy spirit? And he talks about going to heaven, he's there. If I go to hell, he's there. If I go east, he's there. If I go west, he's there. Psalm 139 talks about the omnipresence of the spirit of God. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. Those passages in Job and John tell us that he's the source of physical as well as spiritual life. He, he, he's a part of creation and he's a part of our regeneration. And therefore, there's nothing that he cannot do. But not only does the Holy Spirit share the essential attributes of God, he also partners in the essential activities of God. Now, I've got a chart on the back of your notes and we'll show it on the screen. We're not gonna go through these passages at all. This is your homework and there will be a quiz. I wanted you to see in chart form just five illustrations of the activities of God in creation, the incarnation, the resurrection, salvation, and inspiration 
which includes the revelation, inspiration, and the illumination of the scriptures. In each of these passages, it will give you what the Father's role is, what the Son's role is, and what the Spirit's role is. If you wanted a couple of passages just to concentrate on, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we've already quoted has a great section of how the thoughts of God get communicated by the Spirit in revelation and then inspiration into the Scriptures so that we can have the mind of Christ. The other one is in Ephesians, in the, the great Trinitarian passage of the doxology that opens that book, a blessed be the Father, etc., etc. And, and it goes through the Father, the Son, and the Spirit's role in our salvation. So that's just to get you started in case you wondered what to do when you're too bored to watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> Taken as a whole, theologians often would say, Everything that they do comes from God, flows through Christ by the power of the Spirit. But, but each of them has their unique role. Again, in theology, we talk about the essential aspects of, de- of, of the Trinity, that they are one and they share those attributes. But we also talk about the economic aspects of the Trinity and that each of them does something a little bit different as well. The Father never died on the cross for our sins. You'll hear young believers and uneducated believers say, Father, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And I want to stand up and go, he didn't. He sent his son. He had to become flesh to die on the cross. The spirit did not die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. The spirit has unique responsibilities. The son has responsibilities. The father has responsibilities. So the father sends the son And the Son sends the Spirit, as we'll talk about in a moment. But if you want to find all three of them together to show that they are distinct in their individual personalities but are still a part of this Trinitarian relationship, one of the ways is the baptismal formula that we've heard in our study on Matthew, of Matthew 28, 19, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Another is a great benediction, for example, like 2 Corinthians 13, 14, where he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Three in one. Will we ever totally understand it? Not this side of eternity. But that leads us to a third aspect, and that is what we call his procession, his ministry. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, sent by God the Father and God the Son to equip and empower the believer for the work in the church and the witness to the world. Procession is a term that was coined by the early church councils to speak of that relationship of the Spirit uh, to the Father and to the Son. It's based on John 15, 26 is what it's based on. Number one, he's sent by the Father. He says in John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you, I love this, forever. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came and went, as uh, Pastor Cody has talked about. But from Pentecost on, the Spirit of God is a permanent indwelling presence of God in our lives. And this is the great text for that promise. The word another can be used in different ways. Another of a different kind or another of the same kind. It's the latter here. Uh, 
The word helper is the word paraclete, or comes from parakaleo, which means to be called alongside to give aid or to render help. And that's one of the major roles of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. He's sent, first of all, by the Son, as John 15, 26 tells us. And second, he's sent by the Father, as we've seen in that passage, but he's also sent by the Son. And the purpose of that coming is to witness to and glorify Christ and to convict the world and guide believers into truth. Look back at that passage on the top again and listen to it again. Midway down, he says, but if I go, I will send him. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll not see me any longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now think with me for a moment. It's the grand plan of salvation in a nutshell right here. Our problem is sin. And the biggest problem with being born in sin and to commit sin is if we fail to believe in Jesus Christ, we still have that problem. But God has made provision. He said, if I go back to the Father and you'll see me no longer, that's to convict the world of righteousness. In other words, you and I don't have righteousness. Our only righteousness is the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to us as a gift from God when we believe. That's provision for my problem. Jesus was the answer that God sent to deal with my sin. When he took my sin in his own body on the cross, First Peter says, he bore my sin, he bore your sin on the cross. That's God's great provision. Well, what happens if I neglect God's provision for my problem of sin? He says, I also sent the Spirit of God to convict you of judgment. And just as a little down payment of that, you need to understand the ruler of this world is already judged, not yet executed, but Satan has been defeated as we sang in our music this morning. The battle's already won, we still fight it, but in reality, it's already decided where we'll be. If you're a believer, you don't have to face judgment. If you're not a believer, the warning of this passage is that judgment is still a part of the convicting work of the Spirit of God in your life. That's the message. Now listen to a passage he follows that with. In John 16, 12 to 15, Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he'll not speak on his own authority. Watch this. Here's the role of the Spirit. He will... When whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare you the things that are to come. He, the Spirit, will glorify Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, and therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now here's the, the economic aspects of the Trinity. The Father initiates to the Son, and that what the Son gets from the Father, he gives to the Spirit so that he can communicate it to us. And in the context of that, it's the rest of the New Testament, and it's being guided into all truth. It's that basic message. There's a, a problem, but there's a provision. And if you reject the provision for the problem, there's penalty. That's what awaits. That's the core of the gospel. 
Ironically, that's the outline of the book of Romans, and it's the outline of the whole Bible. Genesis 1 to 3, where did sin come from? What Revelation says, here's what's going to happen if you reject the Son. From Genesis 3 to the end of Revelation, here's all about Jesus as God's provision. Wonderful, wonderful truth. How could you and I get better in touch with what the Spirit of God wants to do in our lives and what he wants to do in the world. Let me give you three suggestions as we close. Number one, get to know the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the works of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, start with the upper room discourse that we're right here, John 14 to 17, and especially chapters 15 and 16 of that. Then, don't miss it, start reading through because we're gonna be studying the book of Acts and again, as Cody has already mentioned, there's some things that are unique to that early church. Just like in the Old Testament, there was only one burning bush experience. It wasn't a constant experience. There's some things God does one time to set things in motion, and then there's things that follow up on that. You'll see that in the book of Acts. And then move on into the epistles to see what you and I can expect as a part of God's church in the work of the ministry of the Spirit. I'd also encourage you to read some good books. Dr. Walford, Dr. Ryrie from Dallas Seminary, uh, J.I. Uh, Packer has a great book called Keeping in Step with the Spirit. These are trusted authors who have dealt with the text of scripture and they'll keep you out of uh, the weeds as it comes to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Number two, determine to yield yourself to the power and the guidance of the Spirit. It's very fascinating when you study that passage in Ephesians 5 where it says, don't be drunk with wine, that's dissipation or debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say, and sing to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts of the Lord. Then he talks about what it's like in the church, what it's like in the family, what it's like on the job, what it's like in parenting. Ironically, parallel, verbally parallel to that is Colossians chapter three, which says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and guess what? It's the same results. Why should that not surprise me? Because the Bible says that the Bible is the result of the Spirit of God. This wasn't the product of human intuition or human invention, but men of God spoke as they were born along by the Holy Spirit. All scripture is God-breathed, literally the result of the Spirit of God in the text. So listen carefully. What the Bible will tell you is what the Spirit will tell you. What the Spirit will tell you is what the Bible will tell you. If someone says, the Spirit told me this, but it doesn't match the Bible, it's not the right Spirit. Because the Spirit won't con contradict itself. The Bible and the Spirit say the same things. And the Bible says, if you'll walk by the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And he goes on to say, because what the flesh wants to do is not what the spirit wants to do. And what the spirit wants to do is not what the flesh wants to do. Therefore, here's the humbling part. You can't do what you want to do, Paul says. You and I will always default to the flesh unless we invite God to invade our lives and control our lives and invite the spirit of God to control and lead us. So get in the habit of saying, Lord, I want to yield to you. I want to think your thoughts after you. I want to get your worldview and be led.
by the Spirit. And thirdly, just pray. Pray for the will and the ability, and this is a big one, pray for the will and the ability to avoid sinning against the Holy Spirit of God. I don't know about you, but the last thing I really want to do when I'm thinking rightly is make God mad. I don't want to insult the spirit. We get our word hubris from the Greek word. I don't want to be arrogant in the face of the spirit, thinking my sin doesn't matter to him. I want to know it breaks his heart. I want to know it grieves his emotions. I want to know it's not his will. That's not the way he wants to think or me to think about him. God, I I, want to not offend you. I want to do things like you want me to do. I need you, as Philippians 2 says, for God is at work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I need God every day, every moment of every day. You and I, by default, think I only need God when the big things come. But if I'm listening in that same upper room, In John's Gospel, in chapter 15, Jesus told his disciples this. Without me, you can do nothing. Now, he's not saying you can't act, you can't work, you can't do. What he's saying is you can't do anything that would be life and fruit that would glorify God. It's the imagery of the vine staying attached with the branches. The branches staying clued into the vine. Separate those, and no life takes place, no fruit results. I have a question that I'm using. If God has a better plan for your life, wouldn't you want to know it? If God has a better way for you to live in marriage, if God has a better way for you to live in dating, if God has a better way for you to live in school, if God has a better way to live on your job, would you want to know it so that you wouldn't miss what God wants you to live and how God wants to bless your life? I think if we're honest, we'd like to say yes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, For those listening who have not yet trusted your son as the provision for their sin and the security for their eternal life, may they this morning say, yes, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I welcome you by faith. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. But Father, for those of us for whom that has been a previous decision, would you convict us afresh of the reality of the person, the deity, and the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And help us not miss what you intended us all to experience. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.